I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, you know what it is. It's The Big Douglas Show. We are streaming live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. We do this every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So make sure you hop in the comments and tell us what you think. Today is another scouting notebook edition, and for that, we bring on Matt Waldman. Matt, thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It is uh, about time for the re- release of the rookie scouting portfolio. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 17 years for the project. Yeah, yeah, it's in year 17, and um, you get a pre-draft, you get a post-draft. Also, I do projections for fantasy players as a separate product, but this is uh, according to recruiting directors that I know, including some in Division One. this is – one of the two most looked at pieces of work by scouts for cross-checking devices that's available in the public right now. So I've um, been doing it a while, proud of that. And, uh, you know, focuses mainly on uh, skill positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Tell us briefly uh, kind of the process, how you get into a, um, a particular player, how much time you spend on them, maybe how many games, different games you try to dive into when you do it. Sure, sure. Yeah. My my background is from process management way back in the day when I was an operations manager. And so a lot of what I do, everything is defined. I have a glossary for my readers. Really, my readers, if they want to learn how to study tape the way I do it, I show them exactly how they do it. It's about the time that they want to put in to actually do that is, is the big issue. Um, but I define everything in writing. I have weighted scoring um, for each position. Um, and that criteria is based on best practices from processes that I learned back in the day that were known as as best practices that I had to get trained in um, and certified in and applied it to scouting. Um, so I'll watch anywhere between four to eight games of a player, sometimes more. The criteria, you can find at least samples of, say, my wide receiver checklist that I use. I use two different types of grading. I use a checklist grade that's on a hundred point scale. That's very intuitive. Um, And then I use a more of a tier-based grading. And the checklist scale is more of, um, I call it breadth of talent, which is all the things you could do. Like if you looked at a resume for someone applied for a job, you could look and say, here's all the different things that they showed that they can do um, at within their, their role in the industry. Depth of talent is more about how well they do those things. That's also on a 100-point scale. So I can give you an I kind of a cross-section of that player and tell you, okay, here's in the various ways that he can fit, but and maybe he but he may never be great at any at any one thing or any system that he's in. But here's a player who may not fit all systems, but if you take you know David Johnson, the running back out of northern Iowa, and put him in a gap scheme. He could be a Pro Bowl caliber talent, you know, things like that that I look at. I provide all of that information. I walk people through the process of how I arrive at those scores and then give people a um, basically a, a, a very detailed profile on each of these criteria that they look at, that I look at. So I'll study players and I'm pretty much, you know, like most people who scout this game. You know, it's a it's a day long process to watch a player some, you know, and I may spend 18, 20 hours some days watching two to three players all year. Yeah. 
Well, let's get into it. Let's start with the most uh, important position on the field, and that's the quarterbacks. Washington will be looking for one next year uh, if they can't get something done via trade and free agency. Let's start with uh, who I think the, the fan base feels is first in line, and that's Kenny Pickett. Tell me kind of what you see when you see Kenny Pickett. I've heard Derek Carr comparisons. I'm not sure why that's a, a knock, but where do, you, where do you see him? And I'm curious where you see these quarterbacks compared to maybe some of them that came out last year. Well, Kenny Pickett is probably going to be my top-graded guy, but not by very much. And if you look at previous years, most likely he will be slightly above my sixth-rated quarterback, who was Zach Wilson. And um, I had I actually had Davis Mills above Zach Wilson last year. I was kind of an outlier there, along with Mac Jones being my um, number three quarterback um, ahead of you know where most people had him. Um, so when I look at Pickett, certainly has the arm strength you're looking for. He's mobile. He has all the tools that NFL GMs like the safe bullet points to 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 really feel like they can cover their assets when they pick a player. Okay. But here's the, the real deal comes down. And my theory has always been this. And I just had this conversation on Twitter with a former scout and play quarterback. And he and I were in total lockstep agreement it really comes down to like three to five plays and how fast you process information and how confident you are. You can process information on a whiteboard and pass all the interview tests and look smart as a whip. But when it comes time do you see the coverage the way you're supposed to see it when the bullets are flying? And can you have the confidence to let that ball rip at the moment that you need to? And when you look at Kenny Pickett, my biggest concern with him is that in the key moments late in games, what I've seen repeatedly is that where he shows that appropriate amount of daring for the first three and a half quarters late in the game under pressure he makes uncharacteristic mistakes. Um, he has, you know, even in games where he's won, I watched, a, you know, against Virginia where he won on a walk-off touchdown. Well, it was a third and five, and he literally threw that ball with placement where the receiver had to steal the ball out of the hands of the defender cutting it off. Like, he'll show great placement where it needs to be three and a half quarters, but for some reason, when he makes a mistake, it he it ends up compounding. Like the next play, now he's throwing a bad pass. You know, so he's a type of player that when I watch him, in addition to that, pressure is an issue with him, where he can move away from pressure, but managing pressure, understanding that when defenders are coming open and they are unblocked and they have a good four to five steps to go before they get him. They have a runway and he sees that right away. He overreacts to that and tries to leave the pocket rather than baiting them within a step or two, which the best quarterbacks in the pocket do so that because you maximize separation when you have a defender only with one step of, from you, because they've fully committed to that angle. Now, if you leave earlier, they can change up their angle too. And so he ends up creating more pressure than he needs to. I haven't seen him climb the pocket. Like Baker Mayfield, who was known as mobile, but wasn't really a maneuverable manager of a player, there's a lot of mobility and he can throw on the move and may throw on the move better than Baker Mayfield can. 
but managing that pocket so that he can, um, you know, really create time and make the best decisions available and give his receivers real options to continue to work their routes. That's something he's going to have to work on. Now, Nate, I know it concerns you that he really didn't get that kind of production till the end. Uh, Matt, do, do things like that concern you? Um, I'm not a big guy on production either way, um, because what I found is it can, it's a, it's a good odds based way of evaluating a player. You know, odds are if they're productive in the history of looking at players all across the, the history of the NFL, then you can say if they're productive, then they're most likely to be good, but it doesn't really focus on traits. And when you're looking at traits uh, of a player, your you know production compares all sorts of traits of players, so it can be kind of a misleading thing. So for me, it's more about scouting. To me, on film, is about what does the player do technically, conceptually, physically, and intuitively to create positive outcomes. And positive outcomes are not necessarily stats or wins, but positive plays either setting up their teammates for positive plays or doing something directly positive on their own. And then that way you can filter out all the production and all the bells and whistles and just get to the idea of the guy can have a 150-yard game and three interceptions and no touchdowns, and you can still grade him high because you, you can filter out the fact that three receivers tip balls that were dead onto their hands and were returned for touchdowns. And he had one offensive line that basically could bench press what the, um, you know, who could outlift anybody, but one guy on maybe the opposite team. You know, I've seen like Matt Forte in a situation like that at Tulane where LSU's defense, literally their whole defense could out bench press everybody, but one player on that starting on the team actually. And Matt Forte only averaged like like 1.8 yards per carry and still graded out strong because if you're looking at it from that perspective, it's fine. So the production for me isn't as big of a deal for him. It's just more about what are the things that he can do to set up production. And I think he can be a productive NFL quarterback, but can he be that franchise guy that every team covets? I think he's closer to I think Jay Cutler was a time. There was a time when Jay Cutler was a really good prospect, but you can talk about there's ways we could talk about how he kind of got ruined in some respects. Um, he has kind of that Jay Cutler upside, but he also has a little bit of that Drew Lock downside. Um, and in the middle range of that might be a Jimmy Garoppolo. You might need a ton of talent around him for him to be really good. Does. Uh... Malik Willis, is, do, you, do you see him as having the highest ceiling of any of the quarterbacks in the class? I've heard that frequently here as we're prepping for the draft. And, and that makes total sense from the perspective that most people have because they look at athletic ability and arm talent. And those are, you know, those are big bell and whistle items and they're important. But the thing is, is you just need a baseline of each of those um, according to what the NFL standard is. Jimmy Garoppolo has those baselines. And he, you know, it's the decision making that that's the problem with him at the end of games. Or Alex Smith, who was certainly a you know a good quarterback in many respects, but again, at the end of games, when those throws were there and he had to 
and he's reading the leverage and he knows the receiver's going to break open, but he doesn't have the confidence to let it go because he's a high-end academic type of quarterback. But when it comes to that feel of going, I got to rip it right here and have the confidence to do it, that came late in his career at best. So Willis is a guy who scrambles, who, who runs really well, who throws great, but he doesn't scramble, not to the true definition of the word. You know, if you're going to talk about buying time to set up your receivers to make throws to get them open, he doesn't do that as well as it may seem to people. What he does well is buy time to maybe run and then squeeze a ball into places that maybe he shouldn't. So he has to learn the management aspect of it. But if he can do that, you know, the exception to the rule who's been able to do that thus far has been Josh Allen. Josh Allen was the major exception to this rule. And if a team can manage him like Josh Allen and work to his strengths and he can prove to be the worker Josh Allen was um, and be able to do it, and most quarterbacks do it on their own. It's all nice to say we're going to hire a good quarterback coach or we have an offensive-friendly coach. But at the end of the day, Who's the guy that's going to work at his craft and do the smallest details at four o'clock in the morning every day after you've had your butt kicked on Sunday and continue to do it when the radio and the fans and folks like you and I are talking about them in a negative fashion? Are they going to continue to get incrementally better? And that's the big question with him. So the odds are against him, but the, but the physical skills, yeah, the physical skills are the highest in the class. Um, it's but to pick up the most important parts, the conceptual part, and all the top prospects have the physical skills that to get people excited. He just has them in even higher order. Uh, one last one before I know Nate's going to take us into the receivers, but uh, Matt Corral is that a product of a system? What what should we what what do we look for in a guy that obviously was in a system that really played to his advantages? Yeah, and he certainly did because you have just like Mayfield and just like a lot of these quarterbacks in the spread, even a guy like Kyler Murray, there there are a lot of plays where they manipulate the coverage by him dropping back, looking in one direction, using a zone read and throwing in the opposite. And that opposite isn't the second read. It just looks like one to the untrained eye when it's really the first read. So he had a lot of these schemed plays. But at the same time, if you watch him this year, especially this year, he did a really strong job of reading the full field in in certain moments um, and showing that he could manipulate. He also did a great job off script. He's someone that I think has a tremendous feel for pursuit from defenders to where he can buy time and make one step where he's sliding to the outside, maybe rolling to his left, a defender's hot on his heels, and he knows how to stop and just take a step back, have the defender overrun him, and he has the technical skill to be able to reset and fire the ball 40, 50 yards downfield pinpoint. Um, so this is someone who I think has a lot to offer. He is probably the best traits plate-based player overall of the quarterbacks in this class in terms of um, the techniques in terms of understanding certain concepts. He may not be advanced with his decision-making because he hasn't had to run a system that is as complex as what the NFL will ask him to do, but he shows a lot of the baseline traits you want to develop along those lines. So 
I think as a decision maker, he's one of the strongest in this class um, from a level of teaching him upward as opposed to trying to untangle mistakes and then start at ground zero. It's is, more is within, he your favorite in the group? Um, he's probably at this point, and I still have a good another round of got things to watch, but I would say he's one of my two to three favorites. And and very likely at this point, he's rated my number two guy, but there's still, like I said, a good bit to watch. He's not far behind Pickett um, in this particular class. Um, so while I don't think this is the strongest class compared to other ones we've seen, um, he's someone that I like what I, you know, the, the mobility, the arm strength, the, you know, he's made, I've seen him make mistakes, but he doesn't compound those mistakes. He's had some bad games here and there, but he shakes them off. And from what I've seen is, is more of a guy who has real confidence and command of how to throw into tight windows and to, and to make the type of plays that you want to project to the NFL. It's just a matter of how fast can he process a more advanced offense. Nate, you got some receivers you wanted to ask about. Of course. I got to check up on my uh, dynasty rookie drafts coming up. I, I'm in like 11 of those best ball dynasty drafts, and I love them. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to hear from Matt. And I'm happy to hear you're a big fan of Matt Carell because uh, it seems like the fantasy community is a lot higher on him than the draft community is for some reason. But anyway, let's let's get to these receivers. So the first guy I wanted to ask you about is uh, – Calvin Austin. Everyone has been talking about Calvin Austin since the senior bowl. They talk about his separation. You know, that's a big buzzword and separation can mean a lot of different things, but uh, you know, the big concern for me was he came in at five, seven, 173 pounds. And of course, all these college sites, they always list them way bigger and way taller. I mean, they think the world of their kids, so they always do that, but he was supposed to be closer, you know, five, nine, five, 10, 185, 190. So does that size concern you? Cause I'm kind of concerned about, you know, maybe they only put him primarily in the slot and then he can't play in the X. He can't play in the Z he just kind of stays in one spot. So I know Rondell Moore was kind of a similar thing where they worry about him being a gadget player because he's so small. Um, so I, I would love to hear your thoughts on Austin. Yeah, that's a great question, Nate. And certainly, you know, when you look at Moore, he was another 20 pounds heavier and he's, you know, he's not, he's not small. He's just short. I mean, he's a big, thick, stocky receiver, you know, kind of like, you know, he makes Steve Smith look, um, you know, Steve Smith was a strong player for his size and he makes, he, he kind of dwarfs Steve Smith in that regard. But I think that's more would be more of a product of some of the issues that maybe um, the Cardinals have a less imaginative offense than people thought. Um, and so I think there's still hope for him as a player. And we certainly saw some bright spots from him. With Austin, I would be a little bit concerned because there is a baseline of what you're looking for from a receiver. There's only been, when I when I think of the two players who were in the 170, 170 to 178 range, probably for much of their careers, who were excellent receivers who could play outside and do well. Both of them played on the commanders um, at one point in the past 15 years. One of them's Deshaun Jackson, who was, is just uh, an exception to the rule. He's tough. He really has a good feel for, you know, being able to play in traffic. And the other one was Paul Richardson, who's just a dog of a player who just couldn't stay healthy, but man, probably some of the most acrobatic catches you will ever see if you go back to his Seattle days. Um, you know, so he's, 
he, both of those guys are big favorites of mine. But when you look at, you know, you look at Austin, I think you're right. He's got to be in the slot. He can give you big play skills from the slot. And occasionally you can put him outside, but it's going to have to be matchup based. It's going to have to be a schemes type of thing where it's going to be RPOs or it's going to have to be something where they got a defense that they drew, they, they drew where they knew they can motion him outside. And now he's set up against a safety or a nickel corner and that nickel corners underwhelmed. Otherwise, you know, Andy Isabella was a guy that gets a lot of, got a lot of love at the senior bowl. And I, I used to kind of jokingly say that his nickname was Dance Fever, if you remember that old show. I know Doug does, so he and I are about the same age. Um, but, you know, you have guys who make tons of moves off the line, and when they have two-way goes in practice, which they do in, in these practice setups, the media gets really excited about them. Now, he did more than just win off multiple moves. He was efficient, and I think he's a good player, but – you know, the shot of him becoming a third guy, a shot of that would be Tyler Lockett. If he can become a Tyler Lockett type of player, sure. But I think, again, I didn't see that level of skill in his game at the at the catch point to really say that he can hold up on that level. Yeah, that makes that makes plenty of sense. And when I think of uh, Tyler Lockett, I think of another prospect that John John Dotson from PSU. I think they're kind of similar players in some ways. But another guy I wanted to talk about, and I I know you might roll your eyes at a few of the things I'm about to say, but I, I want to get your perspective on the film side. Okay. But from an analytical perspective, I mean, Sky Moore he he checks every box. He broke out as a freshman. He had over 1,200 yards as a sophomore. I mean, he outpaced Dwayne Eskridge, who was a second-round pick last year. So he's doing a lot of things right. He also led the country in uh, missed force tackles. So he's a guy who's going to check all those boxes. He's supposed to run, you know, under a 4-4. So I'd love to hear your perspective from, like, film, though. Like, what is his weakness what, besides, like, level of competition? Like, what can he work on? What, what do you see him as, as, you know, as a pro? Sure. And I think one of the things that he's going to have to work on, I mean, he's quick. He's very quick. He has good footwork. He can use his hands pretty well at the line of scrimmage. So I think that at least from the slot, he can play from the slot immediately as a big play slot option because of that ability to get yards after the catch. The big question for him is going to be really what all college players have to work on as slot options, which is can he read the defenses in NFL to be on the same page with his quarterback. Because when you are a slot player, you're essentially the second quarterback on that offense where you have to understand pre-snap and within your first three to five steps post-snap, whether you're playing, seeing a zone, a hybrid zone, some sort of mix of man and zone in, you know, in the field and how to adjust to that in the same way that the quarterback wants you to adjust to it without having any words being spoken. So all the different combinations of where, you know, there's some systems where you might have five different break possibilities based on what the coverage is doing. And at, you know, at Western Michigan, much less even Alabama, you might only have two, you know, maybe three. So I think that's going to be the biggest adjustment from, because again, as an outside player, I, when I watched him beat, you know, cornerbacks like at Buffalo or, in, you know, or, or teams like that, he showed plenty of burst. But when I watched him face, um, you know, more of your top 20, top 25 teams, he seemed to get pushed to the boundary a fair bit. 
he kind of kind of that Devonta Smith treatment that we saw a lot of teams were able to do against him, um, where he's he might get bullied to the boundaries and outside guy. So I think he's a guy that may need to sit a year um, or contribute for a year or two unless he just shows he's a tremendously fast learner and he and his quarterback just connect unbelievably well. Because even a Hunter Renfro, who is fantastic and one of the smartest football players, according to some, you know, some of the people who talk about him, some one of the smartest young receivers, it took him a couple of years to really come into his own and injuries for him to get the opportunity. Um, and they're kind of, you know, Renfro's a little smaller, but uh, unbelievably quick and technically sound route runner. And I think Sky Moore's not as technically sound of a route runner, but certainly a better athlete, but he's not a bad route runner. So I like him. Don't love him as an immediate impact guy, but that's okay. Okay. Taking notes. That's good to know for my drafts coming up. Okay. One other guy, uh, Drake London. What do you see like as his most highly translatable traits going to the NFL? And then what areas does he need to work on? He, he reminds me a little bit of like a, a mix between two former teammates and now Sean Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall, because, you know, he's got that big body, but he, Instead, he has the big body, but he also can create that separation. He also, uh, I mean, he's he's pretty violent at the catch point. I mean, I like to watch him a lot, but I feel like fantasy community is a little lower on him than they should be. Well, you know, the fantasy community is kind of like um, GMs and owners gone wrong. And we have some of those in the NFL, as we know, who think they're playing fantasy. And I, I joke that that speed is kind of like the cleavage of the NFL. It's one of those things that in the appropriate setting, it's it's nice to look at. Everyone's happy with, you know, some when people are consenting about it, fine. That's great. You know, but at the same time, you don't sit down and choose cleavage as the reason to have a life partner, you know, and the same thing when you're choosing speed over a player, you, you know, that's that's one of those situations where teams go, well, he can't run routes well. He doesn't separate well. He doesn't track the ball very well over his shoulder. But, boy, he's fast. We can coach him up. And they don't coach anybody up in the NFL. We know this already. Like, you know, players have to work at it on their own. So when a Sammy Coates gets drafted early, you know, because he's – I just described him pretty much, um, you, you know, it's because of speed. And so they, they get excited about guys like that. I think – I think London's fast enough. He meets the baselines. That he can get deep on you. I think he has good separation skills. He's certainly physical enough. I think he's a. I think the combination of guys you mentioned is a very good one. Um, I would say he's a better version of Michael Pittman. He's more versatile than what Michael Pittman offered. Um, and Michael Pittman has done well in his system. I like. I think that London has to learn. Has to work on dropping his weight just a little bit more because certain breaks um, that require certain hard breaks on like dig routes and comebacks where he can really put use double moves on people have to set up with him being able to run the comeback and the hitch and the curl where he can really sit in that chair at the top of his stem, come to a sudden stop. He shows that he can, he has the bend, but he doesn't quite get there as low as 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 he should and i've seen him do it it's just not consistent so it's just a matter of him really focusing on that area but what he does really well like you said catch point he's he is tough he's gonna you know you can put a licking on that guy 
at the at the at the catch point, and he's not dropping that ball too often. Um, he's someone that's going to break tackles. He's going to push through people. Um, he has enough burst to be able to to get angles on people, so that when they when they do try to make contact with them, it's not a, you know it's not a direct hit, which just aids his fav- him in more of favor anyhow. So for him, I mean, does he come into the league and necessarily become the primary guy? right away you know probably not but can he can he give you some of what michael williams is is giving in in you know for the chargers and kind of have that trajectory and then maybe more upside than what michael williams has yeah i think so i think he's that good before we switch to running backs i'm curious your thoughts on on george pickens well, listen, you know, a lot of people would joke that I'm biased because I worked at the University of Georgia for 10 years. But uh, but the uh, but, you know, that aside, um, I think he could be the best receiver out of this class um, if he stays healthy. He yeah. has, you know, he has all the physical tools you're looking for, obviously. Um, he also has that physical mentality of how to play the game as a blocker, as a route runner. He adjusts extremely well to the ball, very bendy, you know, someone who has, has the opportunity to be that kind of alpha receiver that you, that you're looking for. So there's a, there's a few guys in this class are really good, but I think he'll get downgraded due to the ACL mm-hmm. and they're going to be some teams that wish they hadn't. I, uh, I'm, I did not know that I'm a uh, full disclosure. I'm a, UGA Homer. My grandparents lived in Athens. We went there every year. So I did not know that, but uh, I lived there 25 years. Uh, it's wonderful. I, Athens. I love Athens. So let's transition to two more dogs. Then as we go to the running backs, um, you know, Zermir White's a kind of guy that you want on your team, not necessarily the back. I think the NFL is looking for to me, though, talent evaluators in the NFL have to be salivating over what James Cook does, particularly since he's put on the, the weight since he's been in Athens. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I have those guys ranked pretty close together, just different styles of player. Reminds me a bit of Sony and Chubb coming out, right? I mean, too differently. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And that's a that's a very good good point with those two players. And Chubb was my top um, running back in that class, by the way. Um, I am just slightly ahead of um, of Saquon Barkley, just because he was a better decision maker. Um, And I know that was an unpopular opinion back then, but I don't think it's one now. Um, So when, you know, or at least it's gotten its respect, I'll put it that way. When you take a look at Zamir White, he doesn't have that chub electricity to his game. He doesn't, he's not going to teleport in five yards and wonder what happened. Um, But he's, he is quick enough to play in the league. He has that burst. He certainly attacks downhill hard. Um, I think he does a number of things well where he can be that change of pace player that you can put in the red zone. You can put, you know, put him in green zone situations, short yardage situations, and you can use him as kind of a guy to spell your starter with and get quality production out of him i just don't think he's ever going to be a superstar or a 1300 yard back unless you know he winds up in a chester taylor behind the great offensive line that they had pre-adrian peterson you know for a year and then you know that's it for him um but james cook is fascinating because he has a little chris johnson to him in the sense that he has that you know, he has that unbelievable 
burst and speed, maybe not to the level of Johnson, but he's very quick. He has that curvy linear movement to like kind of like a motorcycle bending around a track um, where he doesn't lose much speed, um, you know, working around defenders like that, like his brother Dalvin. Dalvin's great at that. But the difference between he and Dalvin are that Dalvin is Dalvin is more powerful, has better contact balance um, between the tackles, whereas Cook actually can cut. Dalvin Cook does this thing where if you think of pistons on an engine, when he he he's the only guy I see do this, but he can change direction where his feet never stop moving, but he's like pivoting like this as he makes a change of direction, and it works for him wonderfully, you know. But you know, it's like Dalvin Cook got the got the banger side of the running back equation that his brother lacks, but. James has the has the cutting ability, but both of them can weave in around in tight space and set up tight space as well. I'm James Cook has grown on me as a as a back that I I could see him sneaking into a team where there's a really good fit for him and him being the lead back and and growing into that role. And you get three to four seasons of him where you're just like, wow, this guy's this guy's a, a a really bona fide starter with you know you know maybe 13 1400 total yards of offense you know giving you kind of like an electric Austin Eckler kind of you know version of a player who gives you more of that top end speed but gives you some of that versatility that Eckler has maybe not the toughness um but you know he's certainly he's certainly a good one Nate, you had a couple other running backs, right? Yeah. Uh, so I was curious your thoughts. You know, the consensus top three. I know you. I know you have your own grades, and you you don't really worry about the consensus, which which I love. You know, that's great. Um, but you know, for fantasy and everything, I, I got to sure. know for you know contact balance. How would you rank the top three backs? And the top three backs, of course, you know, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, and uh, of course our guy Isaiah Spiller. So contact balance, and then also I, I wanted to know about like their vision because I know those are two things you you that's a big point of emphasis when you talk on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that from a contact balance perspective, it's going to be Hall, Walker, and Spiller in that order, and I would probably put Hall and Walker a good tier above them, above Spiller in this regard. The main thing about Spiller is that he needs to learn how to. Um, he needs to learn how to align his pads better in two ways, upper and lower body. When you, when you attack someone with your pads, make sure that your hips are downhill. If you're just going to, if you're going to lean with one pad and your hips are headed towards the sideline, a cornerback's going to basically push you backwards. And that's what happens with him in those situations. And, you know, um, a guy like Darren McFadden was an example of that, where that didn't work out well for him because of that. So he's got to figure that out. When he gets downhill, he's got some pop to him. That's for sure. Very elusive. But the also his pad level gets too low where he brings his pads down, but his head drops. And every running back coach I've ever had a ch chance to talk to, or even former running backs talk to, they talk about you drop your head, your back curves in such a way that the minute you make contact, you fall straight to the ground where you were. So that's something he's got. Those are two things he's really got to work at. Brees Hall, no problem with contact balance, no problem with pad level. Kenneth Walker, same thing. Both guys, um, you know, I think are very good in that respect. They may not be the best at it in this class. But they're they're either they're contributor or starter worthy, and that's enough to be a starter in the league. And vision, um, 
I would say Kenneth Walker is the most disciplined and the best overall decision maker. Brees Hall makes it look the easiest. Um, and I think he has moments of inspired decisions. Um, I don't think he has too many flaws with his decision making either. Um, but I think that Walker's a, maybe slightly more sophisticated, but Hall's footwork and quickness might make him look better than Walker in that regard because those that that footwork kind of bleeds into how you pro you know the the action behind the processing of information. Um, Spiller's third. Spiller's a guy who, you know, I think he can be a good player with toss plays with certain outside zone plays, but then when you ask him to run certain gap plays or zone plays in um, inside, he can be prone to bouncing things outside where he really must learn to set things up. Like there, like counter is not an, a common play anymore, though it was, you know, it's the, I'm talking to two fans who know it's the most heralded play in the history of that franchise. Um, but you know, you all knew on you guys all. I'm glad we're having this conversation now because you guys understand this better than anybody. Anybody who listens probably does. When you run counter, you know, and I'm sure most fans could teach me about counter who who, who are Washington fans. But when you run counter and you have penetration to the outside or a tight crease inside, and that force player outside has gotten gotten depth into the line, you don't try and bounce around him. You try and take it where your puller is going. And repeatedly against Auburn, against Alabama, a couple other teams I've seen where, you know, Spiller has the tight crease. At worst, he should press a little further towards that force man and then cut it back inside the blocker who's got that force man and take advantage of that leverage to the inside. He doesn't do that. He tries to bounce things outside. He's very elusive. He's worked on his footwork for years since high school. I know the guy who's worked with him, um, you know, and I know that he's had his his high school players kind of take notes on some of the some of the work I put out on YouTube and things like that. So I'm, I, you know, he's fantastic with his footwork, but knowing how to apply it within the context of his running scheme, he has to get better at. And 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 when you are bouncing outside counter, as my buddy Jay Moyer, who used to write for me, who's at it's FF astronauts and a, and a running running game coach in high school for over 20 years. He'll tell you that's a very fundamental thing that most guys who run counter already know this. So if he's doing that right now, it's kind of an egregious thing he has to fix. I'm curious uh, while we've got you, Matt, what your thoughts on were uh, John Bates, the tight end from last year, kind of where you saw him going. Cause I think Washington was, was pretty excited about what they got from him last year. Yeah, the Boise State guy. Yes, right. Yeah, he's fun. He trained with Travis Kelsey for a for a bit of time. Um, you know, prior to his senior year, I believe he's a he's an overall good combo player. You know, one of those guys. And Washington seems to pick those guys. Like whether you, you know, for fantasy, Jeremy Sprinkle may not have ever been anything, but the guy could block. He could usually catch pretty well. He could get open in certain looks. Um, and I think that Bates is kind of in that mold. He blocks well. He's a good zone route runner. He's someone that's going to be able to get open for you off of play action and stretch the field. If he gets a little bit more athletic, maybe he can become a little bit more of what I call a matchup player, player who can win one-on-one -on -one, 
um, against even, you know, quality defenders, you know, who play man to man. And if that happens, suddenly you've got something that you're signing him to an extension. But I think he's a guy that if you need him, he can contribute and deliver in the run and the, and the pass game, at least within the first 20 to 25 yards down the field against zone. Matt, thank you so much for doing this today. Could have done it all day. Had a great time. The uh, scouting portfolio uh, pre-register, right? It, when does it when does it release? Yep, every year April one. Hopefully, that'll be the same for the year seventeen. So, absolutely. Thank you so much for doing this today. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Nate, we'll see you next week. All right. Thanks. Take it easy, fellas. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. All right. Have a good one. All right. See you, Nate.